just by a show of hands, how many of you here have had parents that have counted? Have counted. In other words, Jimmy, David, Juan, Juan, don't make me count. One, two, three. How many? Raise your hand if you would, please. Yeah, but they never counted. They throw the stone before. It's like a Chicago policeman. All right. <laughs> All right, hold on. Hold your hands up high. I really want to see because my eyes aren't that good right now. So, okay. Okay, just for a show, let's just see here a quick, um, a quick survey on this. What's the highest number they get to for you? <laughs> That's why he's called that. It's like one. That's all you get. How many? Three? How many have three? That's the highest number. How many have five? Okay, that's a, so you could say the French are more lenient, I guess. Um, is there anything higher than five that parents would count to? No, okay. I saw that in the store a couple days ago. I think his name was Edwin. Edwin? I'm going to count! Saw it here actually on Wednesday as well with a mother and her son. One, two, three, four, four five. Six, seven. I think I was wondering how long the boy was going to wait, and it's like if there was no thread on the other end of it. And then he was just kind of la 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 la, whatever. Hey, look, mom's counting. All right, then I'm back to what he's doing. Now understand something: that somewhere down the line, somebody realized that Spock really wasn't just the guy from Star Trek. <clears throat> He wrote a book on child rearing, which, by the way, is not necessarily endorsed by scripture. And, and in it, there were all kinds of things, including like not how to not correct your child. Well, anyways, with all that said, um, understand God counts too. But I've learned this. When God counts, God's like, here's my number one. <clears throat> is that enough? Kind of like one, maybe. Do you want number two? I'm fine, I can take it. Bam! There's number two. Any of you up for number three? Ugh! Are you done yet? In this chapter, God counts. How far will God be willing to go? Now understand, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. But God will not bless your mess. God wants repentance. He wants us to turn to Him. And here's the beautiful thing, beloved. Please hear me. God has no interest in stopping until you either say yes or you're dead. He just doesn't want to relent. The one thing God will not do is leave you alone. Now, that is so comforting if you want them. But it isn't very comforting when you're running. And by the way, in this chapter and the next, the last two chapters of this glorious book, if and then will be used over 50 times. God's like, if you want to do this, well, then here's the result. Understand, this is not God responding. This is God actually saying, this is what awaits you behind door number one. Bam! Do you want to open door number two? Throughout Scripture, the greatest punishment God can give you is to just let you go. That is the difference between the God of the Bible and every other God. It seems like we worship anything else as mankind to keep them away. Angry, grumpy, vindictive, with a stick in their hand, God. And then there's our God, who we don't even worship to get him to draw near. We worship him because he is near. I am so thankful. I don't be, you know, it's like, and I could hear this though. We could get, you know, we use words like presence. Oh, I just want to get your presence. And I wanna, it's like, God's like, I'm here. Hello? <laughs> Imagine, here I am with my wife, and this really is my wife. This isn't just weird role play. I'd be like, oh, I just want to feel that you're here right now. I just, oh, Suzanne, Suzanne, Suzanne. She'd be like, 
Um, I'm, I'm here. You're weirding me out. As if you could see her look right now. That's the, you're weirding me out look. Which I've known quite well over the last almost 25, actually I've known it over 25 years. It's actually lessened in these years. I don't know if she's numbed herself to me or whether I've gotten better. Probably both. Listen, this chapter breaks up quite simply. Don't ever just believe me, you know that. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible always be your authority. In the beginning, what God says is, I really want to bless you. I'm asking for a couple things for that. If you don't want to bless me, if you don't want to say yes to me, now this, understand, this isn't God speaking to the world, this is God speaking to his people. You need to know that. Because if you want to try to actually not do that, here's what awaits you. And if that doesn't work, here's number two. And if that doesn't work, here's number three. And if that doesn't work, here's number four. And if that doesn't work, you don't want five. And if that doesn't work, well, he doesn't even go there. He just says, and if you would then turn back to me and just admit you're wrong, if you would just go that far, I'll fix you again. It'll be as if this didn't happen, except the memories of how you should never do this again. What a wonderful God we serve. Now look at it with me, would you please? Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 through 3. You shall not make idols for yourself. Neither carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourself. Nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then, verses 4 through 13, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the field, uh, trees, sorry, the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall be, shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the evil, I'm sorry, rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, a hundred shall put to ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. In other words, you'll have so much, you'll actually have to clear out some of the old because the new's coming. You won't have or have bare. I will set my tabernacle among you. My soul shall not abhor you. That's always comforting, isn't it? I shall walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. In our first 13 verses, God throws his offer. And here it is. So let's play it out for just a second, would you please? And then we'll go through the rest because you really want to spend all the time on how God likes to spank his own. It's true though. It's very true. He will. So here we go. I need a volunteer. She doesn't know this is happening. Well, she knows it's happening now. Hopefully, hopefully you're that lucid. Have a seat, please. Thank you, my dear. There we go. There comes a time where a man offers himself in marriage. In November, it will be 25 years for us. 
when a man traditionally offers himself, the deal has been made, and we won't develop a lot of that right now for the point of it all. Here's the important thing. There's a cup that sits between them. Is it like my cup? It's cute, right? You actually gave me this cup. This was a gift, by the way. Yeah, it's all right. I'm sorry it's not coffee, but I'm actually not sorry it's not coffee. Here's the deal. You see, when the man offers himself, he offers three things. It's because I'm taking it seriously. He offers his provision. He knows that the moment this woman becomes his wife, she's his responsibility to provide for. Can I just say as a fellowship, so you know, if it comes to the point, and we'll assume it will, where the Lord will raise up other people, it's our heart's desire to see this. And to see men raised up to become pastors. Some assisting the work here. Some sent out to plan other works throughout London. My heart is to plan at least 33 churches by the year 33 in one of each of the boroughs, if possible, if necessary. And I think it would be necessary since there are 33 boroughs. So there will be need. But if it be the case, you need to know this. When we start talking salary, let me just say it in front of all of you. Our goal will be that the man who comes and works here will take the medium income of the area and he's to make that. Not his household, but he's to make that. Now, that doesn't mean his wife can't work. The whole point is that we want to be sure that if possible, this man, if the money's there, this man will provide for his family as a man. Does that make sense? So you just need to know that from the get-go. That's our goal, by the way, for every person here. Don't, don't be like, well, I should work there then. <laughs> that should be, you know. It's not the goal. But he offers his provision. That's what a husband does. But he also offers his protection. The responsibility. When Suzanne and I were first married, I used to have this horrible dream pretty regularly. And the dream would be very constant, same one. We were somewhere in L.A., and for like essays jump out, man, and they start talking, and they start talking smack to Suzanne. Now understand, I stopped teaching martial arts when I was about 20, maybe 21. So it's been a while. Back then it wasn't as far removed. But all I remember in every case is that I would just Jackie Chan all over them. They'd all be laying in their own puddles of themselves, and I'd wake up with my knuckles bare, praying I hadn't hit my wife who was next to me. Who, by the way, you can ask her later, the only one who's ever hit, never mind. It's been the other way around. Until once, and I pray, God, please, please, please remove this. Please, Lord. And then finally, had that dream one night, and I kind of almost saw it coming. The scene was set, and I'm like, oh, there we are, walking through that alley. I know what's coming. And out they jump, and I share, and I'm just about to whip out my Jackie Chan. Instead, I whip out my Bible, and I start sharing with them. They all give their life to Jesus. I've never had the dream since. True story. Thank you, Jesus. But protection is part of the package. But then there's a third thing. Presence. See, I can provide for her and even hire people to protect her. Put her in a house with an alarm. Get her a couple Dobermans. The whole bit. And never spend any time with her. But traditionally, the man offers those three things to her. Will you please accept my, my provision, my protection, and hang out with me? That's the idea. Do you get it? Well, she has her own thing to offer as well. She offers two things. What she offers is her purity. She offers to be faithful. That's the idea. Or we say it in this sense. She offers to be simple. That's the term that's often used. And the idea of it is to have a single heart. And the second, then, is to be surrendered. To surrender to the leading, to surrender herself. Does that make sense? Thank you, sweetheart. You did really, really well. All right. We kissed in church. Do you want a drink? Okay. okay. What kind of church is this? People kiss in church. Look at those first verses with me. Do you see what God is doing? He says, look, can I ask this of you when we come to the table here? 
could you please not cheat on me? Isn't that what God's asking? Isn't it interesting that it seems like every time God starts laying things out, that's where he starts? Do you remember when he starts the, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in Exodus 20? Do you remember the first of them? Please, don't, don't make carved images. Don't go after other gods. No worship anything else before my face. God's like, hey, if we're going to enter into this relationship, I would really like your heart completely. Hey, we sang it today, didn't we? Isn't it, wasn't it beautiful? Isn't it just wonderful what God's doing? I just love what the Lord's doing. First song, by the way, written for them. As far as, as far as the way that they sing. So it's just beautiful to watch that. Um, that's the first thing he asks. And so I ask the same then in regards to us. If we're going to go to the Lord here today, is there a single-heartedness? Or are we just being single? Because see, the Lord wants to enter into a love relationship, a lasting covenant. Isn't that the word he uses here? I'll remember my covenant. We're entering into a covenant. I want to remember my covenant with you. And that happens, and we start, and we ask, is there a singleness? Now listen, if when you get the chance, here's a little homework. But listen, I wouldn't issue homework to you that I wouldn't myself take. Read through Acts chapter 2. Now, if you've come from a charismatic background, you're like, oh, I love that chapter. Man, that's like where all, like the Holy Spirit comes, and everyone's like yelling, and like screaming, and languages, and blah, 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 in their prayer language, or whatever they want to say. But it's like 3,000 people get saved there. And imagine what would it be like today if we left this place and we were excited about Jesus and we started sharing and next week 3,000 people were here. Could you imagine? You think, oh, don't worry, the pastor will handle it. Are you mental? <laughs> there were 120 of us in a room praying about what we have. Praying. We didn't know what to expect except that power, God's power was going to come upon us. We saw in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit came upon us, the whole world changed. When, one, when the Holy Spirit came upon one person, the whole world changed. So imagine what it would be like being 120 of us thinking, what would happen when the Holy Spirit came upon 120? Multiply that by 120, the universe gets changed. How does that work? How could it be that the Holy Spirit would come upon so many today and the world is so unchanged? when the Holy Spirit would come upon one and the whole world was changed back then. Can I say, perhaps the difference is, back then they knew that the Holy Spirit was there to empower them to do God's work for God's glory, not ours. But if you read chapter 2, towards the end, what you read is, now what do you do? You've got 3,000 people who just get saved and we all look around and go, now what do we do? And we all look and go, I'm not really sure. We fasted and prayed. We should probably do that and read the Bible some. You think? People were like, well, I just got kicked out of my house because I became a Christian. Someone else is like, that's funny. My whole family just left because I became a Christian. Why don't you come and move in with us? And it becomes like the hippie movement, right? Everyone's like living with each other, you know? And that becomes like the early church. But it's said that they ate bread with simplicity of heart together. Literally, singleness of heart. And can I say it this way? God just wasn't complicated to them. It wasn't complicated because, to be honest, when Jesus really is everything, he's just not complicated. Where it becomes complicated is when you figure out how to try to squeeze the infinite into finite little things so that you can get your will done. That's when it gets complicated. Think about it. But that's the first of the two things. Can I have your singleness, your simplicity, please? But then the second, can I have your surrender? Interestingly enough, he says, you know what? And don't forget to keep my Sabbaths. Listen, follow me on this, would you please? Pick the most chaste person you can in your mind that you know. That you just know it would be impossible for that girl to get pregnant right now. Not because she's ugly or any of that, but because you just know that that's just not the way it works. Now, we're not talking about somebody like... You know, that just, it would be very surprising. Like, surely, where you would be like, well, that's clearly an act of the Lord, right? Because she's past that age. But somebody like Tay. And her whole life gets flipped upside down like so many others because God gets a hold of her and puts a calling on her. Think it through. See, if God had left her alone... She could have blended in with the rest of the woodwork. Everyone just lived a normal life, did her whole thing. She was already engaged, not Tay, thank you, but Mary, right? 
already engaged. The whole thing was already set in motion to, to live the normal life. Everything's sort of carved out. It's like one of those Disney film beginnings, right? Where it's like your whole life's already carved out by the culture and her family and the whole bit, right? She knows who she's going to marry. She knows what kind of where she's going to live. The whole bit, everything's sort of set out. And then God totally flips the whole thing around and says, no, I actually have a bigger plan for you than this. I'm going to use you to change the world. Now, could you imagine? God speaks to you and you, your first response is, oh, me? Uh, me? Me? God's like, yeah, yeah. What are you like singing? Me, 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 me. He's like, says, I'm serious. But it's not just like something that's like, you know, I'm going to use you and people are going to go, wow, that gal's cool. I mean, I'm going to birth, I'm going to through you, I'm going to birth the Messiah. And imagine her going, oh, okay, that's, that's, wow, okay. That's going to change my day. Yeah, you're everything. A kid's following the sheep, and all of a sudden he goes inside and says, Dad, how come you called in all the brothers and not me? And there's a prophet standing there, and he goes, Oh, well, that's because you're going to be the king now. And you imagine him going, What? 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 I can't even drive yet. I can't even have a smart car. God's like, Yep, you're perfect. How many people in scripture wake up one morning like any other morning and go to sleep so different? Peter, Peter, I know you've been fishing. It's just like always, but you need to come and meet this guy. Believe it or not, I think we found the Messiah, says his brother. Oh, let's go. You know what? Oh, I'm sorry, Simon, because that's what his name is. Simon, I'm not going to call you Simon. I'm not going to call you unstable or any of that right now. I'm going to call you Rocky. And you can see him going, what? You know, I mean, how does that work? You wake up one day and go to sleep different. But here's the problem, beloved. Please hear me. I really believe that God has that for every one of you. Me included. He's got such a crazy, outlandish plan for you. Distinctly for you, by the way. He didn't write that script for a handful of people and see who actually makes the role. He actually custom wrote. You know those kind of movies where if that person didn't play the role, it would never happen? You're like, no, that was written for that guy because nobody else was going to do that. God has actually movies written for every one of us, if you will, that's distinctly you and nobody else can fill the role. It's like, to be honest, if you don't step into the role, the movie doesn't get made. That's the way it works. The problem is, is that that particular role, if it's going to transform the world, it's going to flip your world upside down first, isn't it? So follow me on this. We're using Tay as our example. It's family day here at Shoreline. For those of you who don't know, that's my daughter. So just so, you know, you're like, well, am I glad I'm not a holiday right now? Uh, that's our surname. Anyways, the... Uh, so all of a sudden, she is now carrying, carrying God. She has the greatest promise of eternity dwelling inside of her. Think about it. The greatest promise. The entire history is going to be split in half because of what happens to that gal. The entire universe is going to be changed. Everything is going to revolve around this event. Is that not the coolest possible thing ever? As far as she's concerned, perhaps with God, the problem is the moment she steps outside the house. Actually, even beyond that, the moment she steps outside the room because she has to go and tell her parents, Mom, God got me pregnant. Wow, that works. And she has to run and tell everybody else and the whisper campaigns and the <laughs> and all that. And even when people are whispering about something else, she thinks it's about her, doesn't she? And here's the, listen, please, please, please hear me. The very thing that could cause her to be blown out of the water, how great it is, now becomes something she could be ashamed of. The very thing that's going to change the universe, the thing that's going to transform everything. And God says, Sarah, I've got a plan for you. Oh, man. If I showed you all of it, you'd explode. I mean, bow! And she's like, God, cool, bring it on. And that moment at church, she's like, oh, God, bring it on. Okay, use me, use, just use me, just use me, just use me. And then God's like, okay, and she's pregnant with a promise. She's pregnant with a promise, like, like Mary was pregnant with a promise. But the moment it starts to show, people talk. And she's no longer hanging out with her friends like she used to because they say things like, you've changed. You're changing. You're really changing. Of course she is. She's pregnant with a promise. And if she has nowhere else to go, what do you do? 
do you think, maybe this was a lie. Maybe I should get rid of this. How do I hide this? But you know what Mary did and we need to learn from her? Mary got up and she left. You know where she went? She went to somebody, please hear me, somebody who was more pregnant with the promise than she was. That's what she did. She went and saw Elizabeth. Who had already been pregnant for six months with the promise of the hope of God before Mary ever got touched. And when she went there, do you remember what that woman did? She was like, Woo! I'm sorry, where I come from, that's what I hear. Woo! Check you out! The mother of my Lord just came in here because my baby just, my baby's doing cartwheels! Woo! Now, do you really think that's what Mary expected when she walked in there? Do you think, you know, she might have expected, Oh, child, what happened to you? No wonder why you came to see me. Mm-hmm. Really? Listen, for three months until John the Baptist was born, she was there with an elated aunt or whatever relation, because God doesn't make clear, and, a, and her mute husband, remember? Who couldn't talk to her in that whole time? You see him? You know, she's like, whoa, look what you did! You know, and then there's Zechariah like... Because <laughs> he couldn't say anything. Listen. The moment she got in a place where people were in her position, everything changed. Everything changed. And God knows that. You said yes to Jesus. Did you say yes to Jesus? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus' gift on the cross? His, His death to pay for your sins and my sins? His resurrection to give us new life? Did you Have you accepted that? Is God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you then? You're pregnant with a promise. And you walk out there and people look and they say, Ooh, you changed. Look at you. Oh, how disgusting. And the disdain pours forth. And that same guy that was digging you yesterday, now he ain't looking to you the same way today. You carried a Bible and it was like, you might as well have carried pepper spray. And all of a sudden you're like, oh. And you walk out there, and even when people in certain places they seem like they're whispering, you just think it's that it's about you, even if maybe it is, maybe it's not. And if that's all you have, how long before you just tuck that whole thing under your coat and pretend like it never happened? You see, you have the benefit, or maybe not, of being able to tuck it in. Mary couldn't. After a while, I just want to warn you, no matter how much you try to tuck it in, it's going to start showing. Sooner or later, it's going to start showing. Because there have been changes happening, whether you can see it or not, inside you. And there is something amazing that's going to be born out of this. And you need to just get over it and accept it. And then you come into a room like this. And when you come into a room like this, you know what you get? Woo! You pregnant too! You got the hope too! You got it too. That's why this needs to be a taste of heaven. Not a little bit of the earth. You can get that anywhere. This is heaven rehearsal. And we look around and go, you know what? Yeah, the world's going to do that. But look around for a second. If you could see what it looked like the first couple Tuesdays that we had our study for performing artists on the West End, they, the, several of them literally started crying. Now, some were kind of given over to that, but just the same. They started crying because they really thought that they were their only ones. They thought that they were like, they felt like they were like the Lone Ranger among people, you know? Just trying to like, not like, I'm just, you know. And I'd like, just not going to hell was more than everyone else. And then you look around and you see them praying for each other and getting excited about the word of God and who Jesus really is. It's astounding. Do you remember what happened with the virgin in Matthew 25? She surrounded herself, or I should say the girl that was engaged, she surrounded herself with ten virgins. You see, every time a girl got engaged, she got surrounded with other girls that knew how amazing it was to be married, but hadn't yet been was to keep her pure, to keep her heart single-minded. Does that make sense? So listen, 
what God says in the beginning of this. He says, would you please give me that? That's I ask. Could you give me that singleness of heart? Don't make anything else. Stop worshiping your TV. Stop trying to make a living in such a way that it owns you. Stop getting your identity from anything but me. Because whether you know it or not, we as the church become Mrs. God, don't we? That kind of a weird thought, especially for us guys, it's a very weird thought. But notice that's the two things he asks for, isn't it? Then look at what he says as a result. God's response to that. He says, if you, verse 3, if you walk, the word for the way is the word halach, and by the way it means walk in my statutes. I love the fact that he doesn't just say stand in your statutes. He knows that there's a walk involved. Hey, you know what? When Suzanne and I got married, we knew we were going to change. And after, in the first couple years, we prayed for that a lot change and he's so faithful he's grown us this isn't the Christian stance this is the Christian walk and you need to know if we're walking with Jesus this is the worst you'll ever be isn't that exciting I like to tell my wife just want you to know tomorrow I'm going to be even better I tend to think she might say Can't wait for next week. (laughs) Second, he says, then keep my statutes, or I'm sorry, keep my commandments. The word keep, by the way, try this word, shemar. Try it, shemar. Lovely word. It's the word that was used all the way back in Genesis 2 when it says that Adam was put in the garden to tend to keep it, to protect it. The word means to like hedge around. It means to guard from invasion. And that's the word he uses here. He doesn't just say, because he'll say perform here in a moment, which means to act out, um, to do or accomplish. This particular word means first, will you protect my commandments? Will you protect my word? Because you know what happens? God tells you something, and if you just believe him on it, you know there's going to be changes and choices that need to follow with it. But you can then compromise. And say, I know this is what God said. Like, for instance, don't be unequally yoked. Hey, if you're single... That's the call that God puts on your life. Second Corinthians chapter 6. He makes it really clear. He says, don't be unequally yoked. Well, maybe that means, well, in the beginning, you just know that means if you're on fire for Christ, you shouldn't marry anyone who isn't on fire for Christ. That's just the way it works. But after a while, you're like, well, okay. Okay, just don't marry an unbeliever. See how the bar starts dropping? Well, we... It would be unequally yoked if he wasn't breathing and I'm breathing. (laughs) And it drops again. Well, we're equally yoked. We both breathe. Do you see what happens? You unguarded. You took down the hedge. His word's his word. And I don't care what scientists say because they think they're so smart. They can't compare to God. And nobody's going to have, and nobody's that dumb, are they? To stand before God and say, I couldn't believe in you because I didn't have enough evidence. God's like, you just were not willing to look. I was throwing it all over you. And God says, will you keep my commands? And then, if you will, perform them. This is what God says as a result. Verse 4, I will give you rain in its season. The land will yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Threshing shall last until the time of vintage. Vintage to the time of sowing. In other words, year-round provision. Isn't that what that is? He's like, I'll provide for you. God has always made clear, you want to turn your back on me, don't expect the rain. I will withhold the rain. Now, granted, right now, in like Dorset or places down in Cornwall, they probably would want that. But understand, the idea is that if without, in an agrarian culture, without rain, you don't eat. God's like, you know what? It'll happen with us too in a very simple way. You start walking away from the Lord, you start getting thirsty. You dry up. 
because he's the living water. And all his people say, my springs are in you. And then he says, I'll give you peace in the land. You'll lie down. None will make you afraid. I'll rid the land of evil beasts. The sword will not go through your land. You'll chase your enemies. They'll fall by the sword. Well, what is this? Protection, isn't it? It's like, I'll protect you. He's like, man, it can't get through me. Then, look at verses 11 through 13. I'll set my tabernacle among you. I'll walk among you and be your God and you'll be my people. What's that? That's his presence. Do you see the very same things that any groom would offer to his bride are the very same things that God offers to his people. He says, this is what I want to do. I want to do this for you. But I need you to be the bride that I call you to be. I'm just looking for a single-mindedness and surrender. But what happens if you don't want to do that? Let's get to God's counting. Number one, verse 14. But if you don't obey, and by the way, the word obey there is the word shema. Perhaps you've heard of the word. Shema means hear, like you won't even listen. And I know this, I have children. It's like where you're like, hey, I need you to do this. And they're like, ah, I'm just, I need to look somewhere else so that I'm not responsible for what you're telling me. Ah, la, 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 la. There's a way to not, there's a way to internally go, ah, la, 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 without actually doing it on the outside. You learned that, right? And they're like, sometimes you just talk to someone and it's like they slip into a coma. And they're like, huh, uh, drools coming out of the side of their mouth. And they're like, huh, what? Okay, sure. And you're like, okay, cool. I know that's not going to happen. That's the word here, Shema. Because if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to observe all of the commandments, you despise my statutes, your soul abhors my judgments so that you don't perform them. Did you notice that God says, you know why you don't want to do my commandments? Because you, you wind up hating them. But instead you break my covenant. Notice that's the word he uses. Here's his number one. I'll appoint terror over you. Wasting disease and fever shall consume the eyes and sorrow of heart. And cause sorrow of heart. In other words, all you'll do is cry and moan. You shall sow your seed in vain and your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you and you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will reign over you and you will flee though no one pursues you. God says, step one, this is one, terror, sickness, and defeat. That's what you're going to start saying. That vivacity that you used to have is gone now. Now it's like you used to be like vibrant and there's no vibrance anymore. Oh, isn't that sad? That area that you used to see total victory over, now you're starting to see a struggle in again. And you're like, how could this be? I'm a Christian. How could I still struggle with this? Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We'll see that that will become the, even the end result here. That's just one. Is that enough? Let's face it. You were vibrant and overflowing with the Lord, and now all of a sudden the overflowing is gone. The vibrance is gone. Is it enough for you to turn back? And you're like, you know what? You're doing it in your own strength. That'll last a little while, but it won't last long and you wish you had more, but you don't have it, is it enough for you to turn? Now you're struggling with the things you used to have victory over. Is that enough for you to turn? Now all of a sudden fear starts to step in. Is that enough to turn? That's his number one. Verse 18. After this, if you do not obey me. Do you see how he's saying, okay, well here's my step two. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. That's not so good, is it? I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And the strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the field yield their fruit. Do you know what the second then is? Seven times worse than what was before. Now everything becomes futile. You work harder and harder and harder and get less and less and less for it. And you know the worst part is when you start doing this, then you actually start convincing yourself if you're not careful, I don't even have time now to go to God because I am so busy trying not to, to sink. And, and here's, the, here's the thing, beloved. As Christians, because we're compassionate, we could be compassionate in a very stupid way. 
Because sometimes sympathy can come at the expense of something, and even worse yet, God. And we're like, I'm so sorry you're suffering. Maybe I should give you a little money. Maybe I should pay your rent. Maybe I should clean your house. Maybe I should do a little something. Instead of, you know, bro, you really need to turn to Jesus. And this whole thing's going to turn around. You want to keep playing that game. And you want to keep playing into both worlds. God says, I want singleness of heart here. And you're going, no, 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 no. I want to play with this. And I want to be able to, I want to live like I'm going to hell, but go to heaven. That's what we're saying. And God's like, this isn't enough. That vivacity. Do you remember when scripture came out of your mouth not to argue, but to bless people? And now look at you. Is this what you want? And this is step two. Now your whole life is like, man, I'm working so hard and I'm getting nothing for it. I'm going to remind you, this isn't how God started the chapter, is it? God started the chapter with, I want to bless you with my provision. I want to bless you with my protection. I want to bless you with my presence. That's what I want. And now that you know that's my heart, let me show you what happens if you don't want that. If you don't want it my way. Notice verse 19. Do you know why he's doing this? He says, I will break the pride of your power. See, that's what God's going to do. He's like, right now, I know what you're trusting in. You think you're cute enough, smart enough, strong enough, charming enough to get your way out of it. Have you ever seen someone, hey, you were three, you could smile and get away with just about anything. You slap your sister until she was unconscious, but you smile and got away with it. But now all of a sudden, you're like, you know, you're 30 and cute ain't working anymore. You can't cute your way out of it anymore. You're, you, you, you care bears don't grow up. And now you're kind of smiling, and people will go, Just, you're going to jail now. Care Bear going to jail. Step three. Is that enough? Then if you walk contrary to me. Now it's like, now there's a determination. You are making a choice because of the futility that you were living. Now you're making a choice, man, I am going to, I am choosing to walk against God. And are not willing to obey me. Notice the not willing. God goes, please obey me. And you're like, no, I'm making a conscious choice not to. Then I will bring on you seven times more plagues. Is that now? Are we at 49 at this point? Is that where we're at? I'll bring you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And now I'll send wild beasts among you, rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number. And your highways shall be desolate. And I look at that and you start, and, I, and this was cool because Ruthie asked me, she said, what did the kids have to do to deserve this? That's a good question, isn't it? Because she's a kid and she wants to know because I'm like, then you should pray for your parents, huh? I says, you know what the Lord does? As he takes his kids home. He says, I lent you those children and you are abusing them. I'm going to take them back with me. Hey, those kids aren't complaining. I guarantee you that. But I guarantee you, you really want to hurt someone, at least if anyone who has a heart at all. And if you don't have a heart for a lot of other things, man, you still have a heart for your kids. I watch them and the most backslidden people in the world still get broken over their own children. God knows that. And what's the, you know what? Let's understand God is removing his protection. This stuff's out there. You know this. This stuff's out there. The only reason it hasn't gotten to you is because God's keeping is keeping it away from you. Because he's protecting you because he loves you. You know the one thing again he's not doing here is leaving you alone. And understand this is all for reason. This isn't because what God wants to do is make your life miserable. But I will say this. God wants you miserable when you're running from him. So someone's like, well, God would never do that to me. I'd say, yes, he would. Try running from him and see what happens. Because the worst and most unloving thing in the world is to say, oh, you just go ahead and run to your own destruction, buddy. Not a problem. Can I say, stop being so stupid. Turn around, repent, and go home. Go home to your father. Are you tired of eating the pig slop? Are you tired of being barefoot when you used to be clothed in robes and rings? And here you are eating the slop. Now you're living the worst of the low of the low. Are you tired of it? Aren't you tired of it? When you used to sing songs with your father and celebrate that. And everything was good and simple and joyful and colorful. And now it's like this sepia awful gray. Aren't you tired of it? Just please come home. This is not a father who beats his children because all he wants to do is watch them bleed. This is a father who says, without me there's nothing good because every good gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. You want to try to find that out on your own? You can learn that by experience. But when you're done, go home. And you'll find out, oh yeah, that's where this came from. I'm working infinitely less and so much more is happening. 
But what if that's not enough? That's only three. Verse 23, step four. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, think about what the word reformed means. Formed again. You're falling apart. You were created to be something beautiful, and now look at what you're making of yourself. You've made a toilet out of yourself. He said, if this won't reform you, but now you walk contrary to me, verse 24, then I'll walk contrary to you. You know what I'm going to do at this point? We're going to declare that we're on opposite ends of this. We are now officially in competition. The line is there. You want to go this way. I want you to go that way. We are now officially opponents. You realize that? You know the most amazing thing is? God did not say that he bails on him though. Did you notice that? He didn't say, but you're not going to be mine. But at this moment, you're my opponent. And here's the crazy thing. Do you know why you're his opponent? Because God doesn't want you killing yourself. That's why. Because God loves you enough that he's so tired of you beating up yourself because he loves you. Hey, if somebody started beating up Tay, you don't want to see that moment. And you don't, you don't want to see what happens. I will, I will die before they finish their job. But the hardest thing is, what if Tay's beating up Tay? Then what do you do? And that's what God sees. When God looks and he says, why are you doing this? We are now officially opponents. I will walk contrary to you. And it says, and I will punish you seven times for your sin. Now where are we at? And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together in your cities, I'll send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying there is no place to hide. When we start standing against each other, there's no place to hide. Run to your city, see what happens. Think you're going to hide from me in Soho? Think you're going to hide from me in, you know, in wherever that place is where you think God might not be. Go, go run to Brixton, see if that's the case. There's more churches there than anywhere else in the city. Run to Hackney and see what happens. You want to run out to the fields? You really think you're not going to find me there? Hey, when you want to put your stand against God, where are you going to go for a neutral corner? There's no place he isn't. Remember David even said, if I make my bed in hell, you're even there. It's like, I can't even hide from you in hell. Why? Because he doesn't ever want to leave you alone. You know, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If you turn to God, that love is there to embrace. That's one big, perfect, eternal hug. Go for it. You want to turn and run from God? It is riding you like a jockey. Pulling the reins to try to steer you back. And that's why he calls us stiff-necked. You have cut off, when I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread by weight. In other words, ten women are going to be fighting over a loaf of bread. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. Can I say some of the saddest and most despondent people in the world are stage four rich people? Because they're still running from God, but they have it all on earth. And they are eating and not satisfied. They're the most miserable people you'll meet. After this, step five. If you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. And then two of the scariest words, in fury. It's like, you know what's going to happen now? Now you're going to see my side of it. And here's the deal. What I've learned is, when God starts stepping out in fury everything that you're starting to hold on to gets ripped out of your hands. And this is not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. Look at what it says. I even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. That's 49 times 49 now, isn't it? You shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your, of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste, bring your sanctuaries to desolation. Bring your sanctuaries to desolation? This is a place, if you were to walk through it, you would see a bunch of empty buildings that once housed the glory of God. There are now pubs, flats, brought to desolation. No more songs of praise there. 
Is that what you hear? It makes me sick to my stomach that this is as bad as it could get. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished. I will scatter you among the nations, draw out the sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths. Remember that? The seventh year. That was last week. As long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest from the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. See, because if you're living a life of futility, you'll never rest. You know that. There's no rest for the people who are running from God. So now it's like, you know, you used to be able to take these beautiful little holidays with God and these date days with God, and you used to be able to have these beautiful times of rest, and now it's like every day is just another day at the grind, trying to do what you used to do in five, now you're trying to do in seven. And then I think of Jeffrey. You go, what? Just read verse 36 with me. As for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts, into the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. Now, you may not know this, but Jeffrey's jumped at the sight of a leaf before. So it's entirely only that. Jeffrey gets scared at a lot of things. Try it sometime on him. Anyway, sorry. Here's the idea. Not this, though. This isn't Jeffrey's state. That's the good news. Here's the point. When God removes his protection... He removes his peace. And as God removes his peace, everything's your enemy. Anything's a potential threat. When you are resting in the arms of God, nothing is a threat. And there's a lot of threatening things out there. But when the Lord is my shepherd, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear. Not because I know you're cool and because you're big, but because you're with me. That's what I know. Please understand, God does not want you here. He does not want you to be here. They'll stumble over one another. It says, they'll fall when no one pursues. They'll stumble over one another as if before the sword when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You'll perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will eat you up. And those of you who are left will waste away in their iniquity and in your enemies' lands. Also their father's iniquities which are with them, they will waste away. This is as bad as it can get. Because at this point, you are now, you don't even know where you are. You're like, how did I get here? Have you ever been there? How did I get here? This is so not where I'm supposed to be. I am totally falling apart here. This is empty. This is worthless. This is desolate. This is more than futile. My life is totally scattered. I'm falling apart at every seam. How did I get here? Because you've been fighting me for a long time now, boy. You've been fighting me, sister. Good news is this isn't the end of the chapter. This was never to make you fall apart. This was to make you open your heart. But, verse 40. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness. Notice the word unfaithfulness. Who gets unfaithful? In which they were unfaithful to me. That they have also walked contrary to me. And that I have walked contrary to them and have brought them to the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt. Will you just admit to me you're wrong? Will you stop fighting me and say you win? This isn't because God's on a power trip. It's because you're trying to kill yourself and God wants to stop you. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember... I will remember the land. Remember, the whole covenant was to give them the land. They've been blown out now. And he goes, I'll get you back. I'll bring you back where you belong. The land also shall be empty by them. I will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt. Notice again. Because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all of that, when they are in the land of their enemies... Look at this. Please don't miss this. I will not cast them away. Nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. You know why? 
Because I'm the Lord, their God. Not just the Lord God. I'm still their God. The most pitiful parts when they're playing like I'm not. But I'm still am. Hey, you know this. God forbid. But if they were to do something ridiculous and run off and do crazy, crazy, crazy things, she would never cease to be my daughter. My heart would be broken. I would be crushed. But she would never not be my daughter. And no matter what the situation is, I'd be going for her. You know why? Because I am Shantae's dad. That's why. And that's just it. God forbid my wife act crazy. Or er, sometimes. And, and do crazy things. I would still go after her. Because I am Suzanne's husband. And that's just the way it is. I'm not breaking that covenant. We made a covenant and I'm not breaking it. That's just the way it is. And God looks and says, hey, when I got into this, I'm not breaking it. The difference is when God got into the covenant, he already knew what they would do. We have yet to discover God knows. And he's like, you are never going to drive me away. So get over it and stop trying to prove it. I'm not going to change my mind. So stop playing this. That's just the way it works. But for the sake, for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, one whom I brought out of the land of Egypt and the sight of the nations, that I would be their God. I am the Lord. And these are the statutes, the judgments, and the laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And, and Isaiah, for what it's worth, chapter 5, 25, 9, 12, 9, 17, 9, 21, and 10, 4, God says the same thing. When he says, I reach out my hands, I've given them, I watch them decay and, and erode, and he says, and my hand's still outstretched, but they still won't come. So then it got worse. And they eroded, and they got hungrier, and more desperate, and things got more futile. And he says, and my hand's still outstretched, but they still won't come. And then he says, and it got worse. Their enemies just plundered them and made their life miserable. And he goes, well, my hand's still out, but they still won't come. And he goes, and then they went to madness. They, were, they just did crazy things. But even in all of that, my hand was still outstretched. But they wouldn't come. And then they were sent to all different countries, dispersed so that they weren't even a people. Israel, what's that? That's something from the Bible. But my hand was still outstretched. They still wouldn't come. But then I sent my son. You know what that was? That was God saying, my hand is outstretched. Not hands, but hand. You know why? So it's like, take it, please, take it. I'm pulling you. I'm here to save you. Come. Today, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm here to invite you to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. I'm here to let you know God paid for your sins. Why would you have to? The debt's been paid. He's asking for you to accept his gift, his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. That's what I'm asking. But if you've accepted Jesus today, let me ask you, are we single-hearted today? You know, James even told us, adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? See, I've learned this. How could I tell my wife I love her if I become best friends with all the people who hate her? How does that work? And I'd say, don't worry, I'm trying to convert them to like you. Think she'd buy it? Flirting with people that were there to destroy our marriage? Do you think she'd buy it? Oh, don't worry, I'm stronger, I can handle it. God doesn't want it. He wants a single-hearted bride. And I'll be honest with you. This isn't the kind of message I can just nod and walk away from. I've got to walk this one for quite a while. And ask, Lord, is there any area of my life that somehow you get 80% and I think I'm doing well? I want him to have it all. I want him to have my purity, my single-heartedness. But also, I want him to have my surrender. 
Beloved, please hear me as we go to prayer. The Lord will never leave you alone. That's good news if you want him. Bad news if you don't. So why not want him? Why not say yes? And celebrate. There's some people that would kill for that kind of relationship. And they're trying to serve a God that won't give them the time of day. Well, truth, because he doesn't exist, but just the same. And our God wants us. Can you imagine? His thoughts for you specifically, individually, outnumber the sand on the shore. You want to try to count those, sand, those grains and see how far you get? He'd be the greatest stalker in the universe if he wasn't so awesome. He's obsessed in the very best of ways. Every thought, think about this, every thought he thinks involves you. How does that work? I don't know. But it does. I think it's about time we responded accordingly. What do you think? And celebrate this God who rejoices over us with singing, who wants to provide, wants to protect, and shower us with his presence. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this gorgeous chapter. What's clear and evident, Lord, is that you deserve more than you get. And we, on the other hand, we don't get what we deserve. And so, Lord, I just want to start right now by, by asking your forgiveness for where, Lord, I have not been the lover I should be to you. I confess to you, Lord, and I stand in the gap of this country, my new country, my old country, however you want to play that, Lord, that we as a people here have turned from you. We have fought for equality in areas, Lord, where we would rather promote sin and promiscuity than holiness. Divorce has become now so commonplace that people would rather live together than get married. Drugs are rampant. Addictions are common. Lunacy, selfishness. And the thing that makes me the saddest, Lord, is that that's the condition of your church. And God, I beg you today for mercy, for this country, for your people, who are miserable right now because they're running. And they don't even realize that it isn't that they're running from something, but they're running from you, from the one that they are supposed to love. The only one that could love them or love us more than we could love us. With a fury unmatchable. With a passion untamable, And a commitment irreversible. And God, I pray today for every one of us here that we would never get to stage one. That we'd never get to that point when when you say, this is what I have for you, we'd say, yeah, but what else you got? Can I just get sort of a compromised life? You don't want a compromised life. You never gave us compromise. You gave us everything. You didn't spare your own son, Father. Please, Lord, do not allow us compromise. But put us full on by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We confess to you in and of ourselves. We are full of intellectual bravados, but very, very, very poor in follow-through. For every hero that we present ourselves like Peter to say we're willing to die for you, we're damsels in distress in reality. And I just pray, God, today, that we would not only surrender and completely surrender, but that we would absolutely learn to delight in you to know that you really are all we need and being all we need our life would be set free to praise you like you ordained us to praise you to love you like you created us to love you to serve you the way that you've empowered us to serve you to become a family that loves each other 
and delights in you. So God, I pray for every person here that claims to be yours, that there would be today in our hearts and from this point forward an I do to you. Wherever you lead, wherever you go, we're yours. And God, if there be any in this room who have not said yes to you, they know that in their hearts right now, maybe they're starting to pound heavy because they know that there's a choice to be made. Are they going to accept that gift of Jesus that you provided for them for their sins? And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show them that this is the choice to make. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you're willing to agree at the end, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you to pay for my sins. And I believe you did that on the cross of your son, Jesus the Christ, who paid for all of my sins and the sins of the whole world. That all of my guilt could be fully vanquished there. And that he died just like you promised in scripture, was buried, and just like scripture promised, he rose again on the third day. And you offer me now a new life, a life where I belong to you. I take the cup now when I say yes. I offer you my singleness of heart. I confess to you. I may not have the power to offer you that, Lord, but as much as I can, Lord, make my heart single to you. And I offer you my surrender. Singleness of heart for you to be my savior. Surrender for you to be my Lord. So now, please have me. Take me as your own. Cover me in your love. And let it be for you to provide. Let it be for you to protect. And now, may I live a life celebrating in your presence as I am yours. I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. In his name I pray. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.